scripture today is the 21st chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 14. After we tore ourselves away from them, we set sail straight for Kos, the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. Finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus, passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre, since the ship was to unload its cargo there. We sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our time had come to an end, we left to continue our journey, while all of them, with their wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said farewell to one another and boarded the ship, and they returned home. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. After we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm not ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. Yes, you may be seated. We'll do some more praying as you're sitting down this morning. Make sure that our hearts are open and ready to hear God's word this morning. So right now, would you join me in prayer? Let's just pray that, so God, right now, I just pray that you'd open my spiritual eyes and ears. Can you pray that this morning? Remove all the distractions from my heart and mind. We ask you, God, to remove the distractions around us. Help us to tune in to you and to hear what you have for us this morning. God, we pray that you would stir our affections for Jesus this morning. Just stir our desire for you and your word. And God, right now we pray this comes all under your kingdom authority rule and that you would just reign and rule over everything that happens right here as we study your word. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So let's talk about bad advice with good intentions. You don't have to go very far in the Bible before you start getting bad advice. Matter of fact, just go to chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3. Whenever Eve took the forbidden fruit, what she does right here, she took some of the fruit, she ate it. She gave some to her husband, and man, he liked the advice, and he took it, and he ate it also. And then you go to Exodus. The nation of Israel has just been delivered from Egyptian bondage. They come up to the mount. Moses goes up on the mount. I mean, this is an extraordinary scene. The mountain is covered with smoke, the very presence of God. There's thunder and lightning, and the people are down there waiting for Moses. And look at what happens. They, look, let me remind you, they just went through the Red Sea, saw a miraculous deliverance, 
I mean, God has been doing some mighty things among them, and look at what they do. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses, took him for 40 days, way too long for them, but waiting for them to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods, no plural, who can lead us. So what they're saying right there is they're not happy with the way God's been leading them. Isn't that how we are? We want something we can see. We, want we, we, it's, we talk about you're saved by grace through faith. And that whole faith thing, that's, that's our struggle. But know this, you may be sitting here this morning and you may be saying, yeah, man, that's my struggle, that whole faith thing. I have problems with that. Well, let me tell you something. That faith is something you need to be praying that God will give you more of. That faith is something you need to be praying that God's going to stir up within you. Because in and of yourself, you will struggle with that whole faith issue. That is a supernatural work of God. That's you coming in concert with what God's doing in your life. So, I mean, we look at this, we're like, man, how could they do that? But yet you and I, man, we get saved, we get delivered, we get made whole in Christ. And it doesn't take very long for us to start looking around and we start looking for little G gods in our own life. Other things to lead us, other things to satisfy us, other things to make us feel good, to make us happy. When God is, should be our all in all. So, so many times, man, I, I tell you what, I was thinking about bad advice with good intentions, and this is getting videoed, so I can't tell you the bad advice I got with good intentions. But I can tell you this much, no one has given me more bad advice than right here. And here's what I come to, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? I mean, my own heart has misled me more than anybody else in the world all put together ever has. See, my struggle is right here within me. It isn't out there. This is where the battle's taking place. So I look at this, I say, man, you know, there's so many times that I, I can think of many times I've given bad advice with good intentions. So this morning, let's think and let's talk about that. Let's work our way through this and let's see if the Holy Spirit can help us as we start thinking about what kind of advice do I want? What kind of advice do I want to give? And what is my life really based on? What was Paul based on here? We're in Acts. We're going verse by verse through this. We're on his third missionary journey. And here's what it starts off with. Jesus says, I will show him, speaking of Paul, how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul knows this from the very beginning, that whenever he's on this missionary journey, the Bible, listen, has been making it very clear that everywhere he goes, there's suffering that's waiting for him in every town, every place. He's fully aware of this. He knows it's going to be hard. Now, wait a second. Did Jesus say something to us about that in this world you will have suffering but take heart i've overcome the world didn't say you might said you will so don't be surprised by it my friend this morning so paul is not surprised by the suffering he's not surprised by anything we're about to read this morning matter of fact i'm just going to skip through these verses carl read them we thank you for that carl and let me show you on the map we start here in Miletus right here this last week if you remember the Ephesian elders came down here and they met Paul here and Paul gave them the only Christian sermon in all of Acts that he preaches to all Christians. 
Another time he's preaching to non-believers, or maybe a mixture of Christians. This was to the only time, all Christians only. So he leaves out from there, goes down to Rhodes, goes down to Patera, and then he makes his way around Cyprus down here to Tyre, Phoenicia. There's a story in the Bible about a Phoenician woman where Jesus, and she's wanting Jesus to come deliver her daughter, heal her daughter. Do you remember that story? And Jesus gives her a rough answer because he's Gentile. And, and he's talking about that he shouldn't be giving his, the food to the, to the, you know, to the, for the children to the dogs. Remember, he calls her a dog. I mean, rough story. Not something that we have that, that, that's still plastered on our little you know, cards that we send to one another. <laughs> but she gives a great answer. She says, but, and she doesn't deny, she doesn't defend herself. But she said, but don't even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the bottom? And he says, oh, your faith is great. Go, your daughter's healed. From there, there's something stirring in this area right here. And this is where Paul finds himself. He comes right back down to this same area. And he's going to make his way down to Caesarea. Because he's ultimately, he knows that God wants him to be in Jerusalem. And that's where his heart, that's where his conviction. Let me ask you something. Do you have convictions this morning? So we sought out. So this is Paul, um, Luke writing. We sought out the disciples and we stayed there for seven days through the Spirit. They told him. They, now, this right here, elegon right here, this is like they were telling him. In the Greek it's saying they were telling him over and over and over again. They were telling him not to go to Jerusalem. And what's, what's the Holy Spirit laid on his heart? What's his conviction? It's to go to Jerusalem. Now he comes into all these other Christians. These other Christians are saying, don't go. And they, they're saying, through the Spirit, they're telling him this, not to go. Have you ever had God leading you to do something, and you knew God laid it on your heart, and then you had a bunch of people around you telling you not to do it, even warning you not to do it? See, we're talking about bad advice with good intentions this morning. Because what are their intentions? They know that when he goes to Jerusalem, they know that he's going to suffer there. They don't want, I mean, they love Paul, and they don't want Paul to suffer. They're trying to be the helicopter mom for Paul and protect him from all pain and suffering. And Paul's like, I know this is going to happen. This is my desire, my conviction. Look at this. Let me talk about prophecy a little bit this morning. This is from Grudem's Systematic Theology. Here's how he defines the New Testament gift of prophecy. Because they said by the Spirit. Let's talk about prophecy for a minute. It should be defined not as predicting the future, nor as proclaiming a word from the Lord, nor a powerful preaching, but rather as telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. So let me tell you something. When someone comes to me and they said, God told me to tell you, I got a few questions already popping up in my mind. Is that big G God or little G God told you to tell me? Second thing is, if big G God told you to tell me something, I'm wondering why couldn't God tell me himself? So I'm real delirious if someone comes to me and says, God told me to tell you. Okay? Spontaneous brought to my soul. But someone comes to me and they say, listen, you know, I've got an impression. Impression. I'm all about listening now. Because that leaves in the room for human error. Okay? Because remember, God told me to tell you, we're talking about divine inspiration. Like, this has come, I've got to obey this, and there's no, no room for any human error in this. The New Testament gift of prophecy is very different 
Here's what it says. Let's look at a few verses, and we'll break down this whole prophecy thing, okay? But the one who prophesies, it's through the Corinthian church, New Testament. The one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. So the gift of prophecy in the New Testament has a purpose. It is to bring comfort, and it is to encourage and to help the New Testament church, okay? It said, look at this. Here's important. 1 Corinthians also. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. This is now, talking about where we're at right now in the church age. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. See, some of you right now, you're thinking, but wait a second, what about the Old Testament prophets? The office of Old Testament prophet and the gift of New Testament prophecy, two totally different things, okay? In the Old Testament, the prophets, they were authoritative. They wrote the books of the Bible. You got Moses, you got Isaiah, you got Jeremiah. They spoke, they could say, thus saith the word, you know, thus saith the Lord. I remember when I was about 20 years old, I was going to a little small church, and the preacher would be going along, boy, he'd be yelling and preaching and just coming down real hard, and he'd stop and he'd go, thus saith the Lord. And I'd be like, first time he said that, I said, what does that mean? But no, listen, when, when I'm giving you my opinion, I can't say, thus saith the Lord, Okay? Whenever I'm preaching, I can't say, thus saith the Lord. Whenever we're reading the word of God, I can say, thus saith the Lord. Because so right here, this is authoritative. Now listen, in the New Testament, Jesus did not call his apostles prophets for a reason. New covenant, new era, whole new thing right here. He called them apostles. They were, now that's, they, they wrote the word of God, Okay. So that's authoritative right there because really what we've got is the Bible. We've got the inerrant, authoritative word of God. That's the scripture right there. We don't bend on that. That is thus saith the Lord. That is, that's the end of the story right there. That is what we believe to be true. The New Testament gift of prophecy is non-authoritative. It's susceptible to human error. So in the New Testament, this gift of prophecy there can be mistakes, human error in this. We don't hold, whenever someone says, I got an impression from the Holy Spirit, we don't hold that on the same ground with the Word of God. It, it isn't up here. This is authoritative. This down here, it can be muddled up and messed up or whatever. So how do I determine the will of God for my life? If you don't know the will of God, you gotta know the Word of God, right? I've got to be praying. I've got to be seeking. I've got to be praying for God to stir that inside me. There's got to be conviction. Like Paul had this conviction to go to Jerusalem. And I need a fellowship of other believers. I've got to be able to see. Listen, it's a wonderful thing whenever you can see someone else that has went before you in the faith. And you can see, man, this person right here, they, have, they know the Lord. And they know what it means to walk with the Lord. I can see that. So I'm going to listen to how they pray. I'm going to hear what they've got to say about the Word of God because they know the Father's heart. If, why do you have to know the Word of God? Because that's how you know the Father's heart. When you know the Father's heart, it's easier for you to determine the will of the Father. Just like when a father is close to his children. I mean, like when a father is real close to his children, you watch this, and those children start misbehaving, that father can just look at them, and they know by that look. I better straighten up. Something's up. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? So if I know the Father's heart, then I'm going to be able to determine the will of God much easier. So when our time had come to an end, we left to continue our journey. While all of them, the whole church, 
everybody that was in the church, they weren't, listen, we are so busy these days. It's a miracle of God if we could get all of the people of our church together for one event. You know, it's just, we are so, and here, all of them, and let me tell you something, this church right here, they had only known Paul for about a week. They, I mean, like, when he comes into town, and what, they were all, these were all new people he's meeting, but they're in Christ. Have you ever met somebody that's a Christian, and you're like, man, just immediately you just had a kindred spirit with them, like you know them your whole life? Well, that's the way it was right here. And all of them, with their wives and children, accompanied us out, out of the city after kneeling down on the beach, to pray, because that's always an essential part of everything that's going on with the birth of the church, and it should be the central thing that's gone on, going on with us here today as well. We said farewell to one another. We board the ship, and they returned home. When we completed our voyage to Tyre, we reached Ptolemus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Once again, these will be Christians they never had met before because in Book of Acts, man, the Christianity is spreading like wildfire. I mean, if they show up to a new town, there's already a church there now. We're about 57 AD. The next day, we left and we came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Okay, now wait a second. Do you know who Philip the Evangelist is? If you go all the way back when we first started in Acts, Philip was one of the original seven deacons of the church. Interesting thing is, is that now he's not called a deacon. It's changed. He's an evangelist. Do you know that in different seasons of your life that God can give you different things to do? You realize that because you said right now, it's like this is what God has gifted me to do. This is what I'm doing. This is my station right here. This is my kingdom purpose that may change in the next season of your life. Okay? So, I mean, here he's not called deacon. He's called the evangelist. And here's another thing that's very interesting about this. Do you remember whenever Stephen was martyred? And whenever they were getting ready to stone Stephen, they brought all the clothes and they laid it at the feet of Saul, who is now Paul. And so he was given his approval of Stephen's death. Y'all remember that? Do you know who one of Stephen's best friends was? It was Philip. So Paul was ultimately responsible for one of his best friend's death. He watched it. He saw it. And now he's welcoming him into his house as his guest. What does it say to us about forgiveness, about transformation? You see, because some of us, we're judging some people right now by things they did in their past, and they may have been transformed out of that behavior. See, because some of you sitting here right here, you've been transformed, and you don't want people judging you by what you did back then. So right here, I mean, he's like welcoming him into his house and he stayed with him. The man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. See, they used to, man, that would mess me up. I'd be like, wait a second, he had daughters that were prophets, but I didn't understand the New Testament gift of prophecy. I was trying to put that in the same category with the Old Testament position of an Old Testament prophet. So I was preaching one time in a Pentecostal church years and years and years ago. They were getting ready. They were starting out. They were just embarking on a one-year revival. And I'm standing up in front of the church, and I'm preaching, and the pastor's sitting like right down here. And I never will forget, I was preaching. And I mean, I just said, hey, brother, not everybody's going to continue with you. He looked shocked. I mean, like his eyes, I was like, oh, man, I could just see. He, just, he looked up at me, just the terror on his face when I said that. And I just kept on preaching. I was like, man, I regret saying it. I don't know why I said that. That was kind of weird. 
and just preached through and got through the sermon and everything, and he never said another word to me about it. A few months later, a group of people in his church left and went to go form another church. And when I came back, he was like, man, when you told me that, he said, you know, I knew right then that, that you were prophesying. And I was like, what? I wasn't prophesying. I was just, I don't know what I, know what I was saying. Now, now, to me, I mean, still today, would you say, was well, you prophesying, David? I'd still say, mm, nah. I was just, I don't know why. I mean, but uh, he took it as a word from the Lord. And when it happened, he was prepared for what was about to happen. So he took it that way. So, I mean, the, the gift of prophecy, I mean, he has these daughters that are prophesying. You have to understand something. They're encouraging and building up the church. They're just saying the things that God brings to their mind, and it's helping and edifying other people within the church. It's not some kooky, weird thing, you know, and they're not getting up there and saying, thus saith, and there's ominous music, and all of a sudden people are like, you know, it's not like the Old Testament prophets. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. After we had been there for several days, oh, look, now a prophet named Agabus. Now we've got this man. He came down from Judea. Did he? Have we seen him before? We have. Look at that. One of them named Agabus, he stood up and he predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place. It happened. Luke's writing in retrospect, it happened during the reign of Claudius. You can go look that up in your history book, and it did happen. And before it happened, Agabus got there and said, this is going to happen. Why? To prepare the church so they could get all the food together and get it distributed. That's one of the things we see Paul doing, making sure the food's distributed to people so they won't starve. So what's the gift of prophecy for? To edify and to help the church. He came to us. This, this is... And this is one of the most important verses we will read, in my opinion, in the whole book of Acts. Because I learn a lot, and I get a lot of comfort from this one verse. Okay? Let me show you why. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and he said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Okay, so here we go. Once again, theologians look at this. They say, now he's going to be using the gift of prophecy, okay? In this way... The Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Here's what's so comforting about that. He makes two mistakes. He's not delivered over the Jews, and they don't deliver him over the Gentiles. We'll come across that in the next chapter. Two mistakes right here. Is the prophecy correct? Yes. Is Agabus's interpretation of the prophecy correct? Not completely. He got two things wrong. He goes in, you'll see, he goes in there into Jerusalem, and the Gentiles come, I mean, the Jews come, and they try to kill him. They mob him. And what the Gentiles do, the Romans, they go in there, and they rescue him from getting mobbed to death. And so two things he gets wrong right here, two details. Would you say, oh, well, see, because well, here's, here's the thing that needs to be taught. Well, if a prophet says something wrong, it's a false, false prophet, and he needs to be stoned. Okay, that's Old Testament. New Testament gift of prophecy leaves room for human error. That didn't seem to be quite as important to all of y'all as it was to me. <laughs> but it was very important. That's very good because we, we can be wrong. And look at this. And here's another part of it. It's very interesting too. And here's what Luke says. Luke's writing. Look, I mean, Luke will be like his right-hand man. Here's what Luke says. And when we, I mean, Luke very easily writing this in retrospect said, and when they, Take himself out of this. But he's, he leaves himself in. And, and by the way, he could have left this whole part out of where Agabus was wrong too. But he put that in too. 
so you and I will be comforted in knowing that we don't have to be 100% right all the time and everybody else doesn't either. And when we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem, bad advice with good intentions. I mean, they're begging him. And Luke said, I, mean, Luke said, I was too. I was right there. Don't go to Jerusalem. Let me tell you something. Here's what I know. I know this. I have never had God lead me into something very serious and everybody come around and applaud me and say, man, day is the best thing I ever heard in my life. Every time that God has led me into something very serious and very hard and very difficult, there's always been a group of people around me saying, David, don't do this. Please don't do this. This is wrong. I mean, can't, think about this and think about that and show me all the areas where it's going to be hurting and, and damaging everything else. And God was clearly leading me. When I got to the other side, then everybody's like, man, David, that's great. So glad you did that. Those same people are telling me not to do that. Right here. They're begging him, pleading with him not to go up to Jerusalem. The warning, I want to put this, to, we can look at this. The warning from the Holy Spirit were intended to prepare Paul not to stop him. So when he got to Jerusalem and they're mobbing him and trying to kill him, he was prepared for this. He knew this was going to happen. And the rest of the church should have been prepared too, knowing it was going to happen. Then Paul replied, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Look at this. Here's what Paul said. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. Does it sound like he's scared of suffering in Jerusalem? Not at all. Matter of fact, I mean, like it seems kind of strange to us, but it's as if he is inviting it into his life. He wants it to happen. Since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done, and it will. It will be done. It, it, listen, it will be done today. As long as the sun rises and the sun sets in this world, it will ultimately be done. I mean, like, once again, I'm going to come back and I'm going to give Henry Blackaby the props he needs. He all taught us an experience in God. We need to look for what God is doing and to try to join him in that. Pray that God will give me the ability and the capacity to join him in what he's doing. Because, we're listen, this is where all of us at one point or another, we all go wrong. We go our own way and we ask God to bless it. And then when he doesn't, we get angry, and we think God doesn't love us. And what God is doing, he's doing the most loving thing he could. He's trying to bring us back into his will. That's why I got to ask myself that. Am I looking for God's activity and saying, okay, God, what are you doing? Will you give me the ability and the capacity to join you in that? Or am I just saying, this is what I think is great. I want to go this way. And as I go this way, I'm like, God, bless me as I go this way. Bless this, God. This has got to be good. This has got to be right. 
from that time on, going to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. So this is God's will for him to suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Bad advice with good intentions. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. Do you think Peter was shocked by that response? I think, you know, I think Peter was like, what? Man, I mean, how can we go along with you going and suffering and dying? We can't do that. And he says right here, you, your mind is set on the wrong things. You're not seeing the kingdom. You're not seeing the activity of God. So Job... Chapter 2. Chapter 1, Job has lost all of his children, everything he has, and he hasn't cursed God. Skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord, a man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. So right here, Satan is trying to tempt God to try to harm Job. And listen, the most important thing about this also is that Satan can't do anything to Job without first getting permission from God. Amen. Very well, the Lord told Satan, he's in your power. Only spare his life. He said, you can go this far, but you can't go any further, and he has to obey the Lord. That's right. So Satan left the Lord's presence and in infected Job with terrible balls from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now I know that y'all think that sounds like bad intentions, but she is tired of watching him suffer. She just wants his suffering to come to an end. And her theology is messed up because she thinks just because you curse God, you'll die. If that was the case, most of us wouldn't be here today. It's called grace. Thank God for that. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. You know what's amazing about that? Is that Job lived before Moses and Abraham. There was, he didn't have a Bible to refer to. He just knew the heart of the Father. So when giving or receiving advice, here's the things you got to look at. Is it biblical? Is it factual? Does anybody ever give you unsolicited advice, by the way? That happens to y'all too? I actually give unsolicited advice too. I mean, I'm doing it right now, kind of, but... Does it acknowledge the imperfections of human counsel? Mm, that's an important one right there. And is it spoken in love? That is a really important one right there as well. Oh, hey, how about some good advice from the Bible? Enough of this bad stuff. How about some good advice? Do you want some good advice from the Bible? I can stop right here if you want me to. Okay, you want some more? And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The number one piece of advice for me. 
Every single day I use this verse right here because my mind goes straight off the wrong place real easy. I said, flesh. I mean, I come back, I say, God, help me take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ right now. Oh, look at this. Here's what Jesus says. Here's some advice from Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Is anybody weary this morning? Is anybody exhausted? You poured yourself out. You're not being refilled. You just don't know if you're going to make it through this. Jesus said you need to come to him. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Don't be mistaken about this, dear friend. The only place we ever find true rest is in Christ. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, that's beautiful right there. I got to ask myself this morning, am I coming to this building this morning? Was that my desire? Was it to draw near to God? To commune with God? The promise is that he will draw near to you, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. What are the conditions of God forgiving you in Christ? Do you think about that for a moment? Do you have unconditional forgiveness in Christ? You do. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And the Bible's command to us is to give that to everybody else as well. Unconditional love, forgiveness. Don't worry about anything. Boy, there you go right there. Some of y'all need to read that right now. But in everything... Look at the change right here from worrying to prayer. Through prayer and petition. That's serious prayer, by the way, if you're wondering what that means. With thanksgiving. Come on, we got to be thankful because God hears our prayers. Not only does God hear our prayers, but he answers our prayers according to his kingdom purpose for our lives. Present your request to God. And look at this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's some good advice. Here's some more good advice from the Bible. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility considers others more important than yourselves. Could you imagine if everybody that says they're a Christian did that one verse? <laughs> this would be a different world you and I live in, wouldn't it? Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interests of others. Got one more piece of good advice from the Bible. Y'all look, y'all starting to shift a little bit. I think y'all getting tired of the good advice. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you anyway, okay? <laughs> Unsolicited. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Boy, that's a heavy order right there. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone. That means when somebody hurts your feelings, you don't have to hurt them back. But always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly and give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you. There it is. There's God's will for you that are in Christ. You say, man, I'm saved. I'm in Christ. Then that's God's will for your life. There's the good advice from the Bible. Will I receive it? Will I take it? Will I do it? Will I apply it? That's the question I got to ask myself this morning. Let's all stand.
So we're going to take communion. So um, for those of you that know what we're doing, go ahead, come on down. There's, there's communion elements at the back. There's two at the front. We've also still got the um, placards. If you want to, you got some, something you need to put on the cross, a sin. You got a burden you're carrying that you want to put on the cross. You can do that. If you've got some loved ones or friends that need salvation, you can put their name on that placard and put it at the foot of the cross. And we will join you in praying over that person's salvation. So once you get your elements, you can have a seat. So let's go ahead and open up and take the, the wafer out. So we do this to remember the Lord, to remember the cross, to remember the great sacrifice that was made for us, to remember the fact that we are forgiven by grace, a beautiful thing that is. So this morning, make sure, just pray right now as you're looking at that wafer, just pray in your heart, is there any unforgiveness in my heart towards other people, oh God. And we just, just read that verse where to forgive everybody just like Christ forgave us. Maybe there's somebody that you just, man, you're like, I can't forgive them. Then you know, just pray something like this. Say, dear God, help me to forgive. Fill their name in right there. So I just pray, God, you'd help me forgive them, that you'd place a cross, a cross between me and them that only the love of Christ will pass between us and you would truly grant me forgiveness. Maybe you're struggling to forgive yourself, but you are commanded to forgive everyone and that includes you just like you've been forgiven in Christ. So if you're in Christ today, and you should be if you're taking communion with us, maybe you need to pray that same thing, God help me to forgive myself. Truly to lay that, maybe you need to write that on that placard and put it on the cross before you leave out of here today. That's a done deal. I'm claiming your forgiveness. So maybe you need to ask God to forgive you for some sins, some stuff you've been justifying. So right now, just take a moment, pray, and ask the Holy Spirit. Is there any hidden sin that I'm not seeing, oh Lord, in my heart? So don't you repeat after me. Say, Dear Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you for Jesus and his great sacrifice. I remember his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And I take this in faith. Let's take an eat, church. Up, open up the juice.
who are coming to the table of the Lord, we're coming to his table. The invitation is for us to come and join him, to commune with him. So as you're looking at that juice right now, this represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. It represents the new covenant of grace that God has towards us because of Jesus' great sacrifice. So would you repeat after me and saying, Dear Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your forgiveness of my sins. I take this in Jesus' name. Let's drink, church. All right, so now this is time for us to, we're going to recognize our graduating seniors out of high school. And then if you hang around for just a moment after that, we've got a baptism to get in right quick, which is, I say that like that's a little deal. That's like probably the biggest deal that's going to happen this morning is a baptism. So if you came for the baptism, don't worry. We're still getting to that. That is the main event that we're here for today. So Parker, I'll turn it over to you, brother. All right, that's a fun, awkward transition. Uh, seniors, if y'all can come up to the front. Sean, if we can play those slides and just kind of slowly uh, roll through them. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, uh, I think I see some new people in here. So if you don't know, I'm, my name is Parker Stringer. I'm the youth director here. Um, oh, yeah, I was up there earlier. forgot about that. And this is my wonderful and beautiful wife. You can come over here with us. Uh, this is Nikki Stringer. Trey, you can stay right here. It's okay. Yeah. Either way, guys. Uh, so here, here are our seniors uh, today. So we've been with, uh, God, most of them, all of them for a little while. So we have Trey, Annette, Jamie, Bethany, and, and Noah. And uh, man, I feel like we've known y'all forever. Not quite as long as I've been here, but I've, I've seen a good lot of you since you were in like junior high, early high school. So um, guys, I, I just want y'all to know, I want y'all to thank y'all for faithfully coming here and, and learning about Jesus. It has been an honor watching you grow, seeing you serve, and, and just doing everything that y'all do. And so I, I just want you to know that even though that you're leaving, that, that we still love you uh, and that you'll always have community here. And, and that I hope that as you go into the new stages of your life, wherever that may be, that you continue to purposefully and intentionally find community wherever you're at, because um, otherwise you'll, you'll be drifting away. So uh, we have some Bibles for y'all that my wife is going to give out. Yeah. Okay, I'll keep talking. Um, so yeah, that's really all I had. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll just awkwardly watch Nikki. Now, anyway, um, so either way, just as, as a way of thanks and recognition of them, if we can give them a little round of applause, and we'll move on to uh, our baptism. Once again, guys, thank y'all. It's been an honor serving you and teaching you and just once again watching you grow. And so just once again, thank you so much. You got anything? Go ahead. Also, I'm sure some of you guys have seen them, but out front we have tables set up where our seniors have placed their accomplishments, the things that they're going to be doing as they move on from high school. So really encourage you guys, just go check it out and just see what all our seniors have been up to these past four years. All right. Thank y'all.
saying earlier, baptism's a huge deal this morning, so we have got Zoe coming to get baptized this morning. And as we're having church in here on Sunday mornings, don't ever forget that there's also church going on right next door right here with our kids, our kids' church. So Laura, the children's director, and um, Jeff is over our kids' ministry. He's our elder down here. He's going to be baptizing this morning. He's over our student and kids' ministry. That's what he oversees. And so they're always presenting the gospel over there next door, and we're having kids that are coming and responding to that. And then also periodically when they have enough kids that make, you know, that, that make a profession, they have something called, is it kids faith? Is that what you call it? Kids faith? They have a class like on Thursday nights where all the kids and their parents come and they explain everything there is about salvation to make sure that everybody, the parents, the child, everybody's crystal clear on what salvation is before they get baptized. So that'd be like another level of discipleship that happens before the kids are baptized. So we're so happy and pleased with that. So Jeff and Zoe, if y'all want to come over here, and let's get ready to, to get in here. And this is, you know, I want you to always remember, too, when, we're, when, when this is happening, that there's, it's, kind of, it's the same way of communion. There's something supernatural that's happening here, symbolizing the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the old life and the new life, you know. But, but it's also a proclamation of King Jesus into Zoe's life this morning. And so as, as we get baptized, just remember that. It's a proclamation that I'm coming under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus. So I'm, pass, I'm gonna pass it over to you. There's no mic, but I'll speak out loud. Okay. I can, I can get a mic for you. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. So, so here we have, we have mom and dad, we have, we have Miss Kaylin and JJ. Hedden? Yes. Okay, good deal, I, I, I nailed it. Then we have Zoe Hedden. So Zoe has uh, been attending the bridge on uh, Wednesday nights and, and then on Sunday mornings. And during our Easter service with Miss Laura, um, she's been thinking about following Jesus for a long time, but they did do a gospel presentation, and that kind of sealed the deal for them to want to come to Kid Faith class. And then what we do at Kid Faith class is we talk about what that decision means. We want to make sure it's not just an emotional experience. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure it's authentic and real. Mm -hmm. And so at that point in time, um, Mom had some pretty heavy discussions with her, and uh the outcome of that was she definitely wants to follow Jesus, right? Yes. <laughs> uh -uh. We also talk, you guys heard me say this before, we talk about what baptism represents. David just articulated that. And so we, we talk about how when we come out here, it's like we're putting on God's jersey and we're telling the whole world that we're following Jesus, right? Okay, so do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? All right, so... We're going we're gonna to get in. Yeah, y'all come right here on the other side and get in on this. Absolutely. I baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. And on that, you're dismissed. Hope to see you next Sunday.